Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're in the 12th chapter, and we're going to be doing uh, two verses this morning, verses 1 and 2. There was an article published about Queen Mary that told the story of one of her regular visits to the country of Scotland. At times, the queen would mingle with people freely away from her escorts. On this particular day, she was walking around with some children, and soon it began to get dark, and the clouds began to form. And she was away, with, away from uh, most of the, the people. And so she went to a house and stopped by the house to ask if she could borrow an umbrella. She knocked on the door, and a lady answered the door. And the queen promised that she would send the umbrella back tomorrow. The lady did not recognize it was the queen. And so she was reluctant to give a stranger a perfectly nice umbrella. She didn't want to give her best umbrella. She remembered that she had an old umbrella up in the attic that was a little bit worn out and tattered, maybe had some holes in it. And so she went and left to go find it, brought it out and um, gave it to the queen. And so the queen promised she would bring it back. The next, day, the next day, the lady heard a knock at her door. When she opened the door, she was greeted by a royal guard. The man held out the worn, old umbrella and said, the queen sent me. She asked me to thank you for loaning her this. The woman was stunned and speechless. And after thinking for a long time, she said, she broke, she finally burst into tears and said, oh, what an opportunity I missed. I didn't give the queen my very best. Today, we come to a very familiar passage in the book of Romans. And before I read it, I want you to ask yourself this question. Believers, what will your response be to Jesus? If Jesus came knocking at your door, what would you be willing to give Jesus? Let's read Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Up until, this, up until today, we've covered 11 chapters, and Paul has, in this last 11 chapters, laid out great doctrinal truths, great biblical truths. Paul has systematically gone through a whole bunch of theology and things about um, uh, going through a list of things such as the gospel. He has explained God's righteousness. He has talked about man's unrighteousness, justification, faith reconciliation to God, that we were uh, dead in, as a result of Adam's actions, but we were made alive with Christ's actions. God's grace towards us, we are no longer slaves of sin, we are no longer under the law, but under grace, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are his are indwelt by this Holy Spirit of God. We have been predestined we have been called, justified, and glorified. And so Paul starts off this section by saying, therefore, 
meaning that as a result of everything I have said before, now this is how you should live. And so we become to a point in the um, a new section in Romans where we look at how we live as believers practically, how we should live our life. Based on this, everything I've talked to you about, now live your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And Paul begins by using the word, I beseech you. And that word beseech, you don't typically hear today. But basically, Paul is saying, I urge you, I plead with you, or I appeal to you, in some translations that say, that you should present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And notice that Paul isn't saying it as, I command you to do this and this. He's, saying, I'm appealing. he's urging us, he's appealing to, our, um, to ourselves on what basis? By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Why should we do this? Because God has shown us great mercy. God has shown us great mercy. Mercy is something that we, uh, is, is getting what we, is not getting what you do deserve. We do deserve to die. We do deserve to go to hell. But instead, God has shown us mercy and forgiven us. And so our, our response to what Paul is saying should become out of gratitude as a result of an, an overflow of appreciation to what the Lord has done for us, the mercies of God. So we should consecrate our lives because of what he has done. In 1 John 4.10, it says that not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for sins. It was God that first demonstrated his love towards us. We, we learned that in Romans, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it doesn't end there. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, so we've been justified, we shall be saved from the wrath through him, so we're also saved from his wrath. We have a huge debt of love that we owe. And there's a whole much more. If, we look at, if you were to go back through Romans and see everything that God has done for you, the mercies he has shown you, it would be an incredible list. And we've spent many, many weeks covering that. Our proper response, our proper and only response to God, to receiving God's mercy, is to give ourselves to him totally out of gratitude. There was a medical missionary named Captain Shaw. He went to visit the country of India. He visited a leper colony and that's where he was going to be stationed to serve. As he came into the colony, Captain Shaw saw three men that were in shackles and chains. They were chained by their hands and their feet. And so when he saw them, he had compassion on them. And he told the guard, please unfashion the chains of these men. The guard responded and said, no, we, we can't do that. These men are too dangerous. They are criminals. And besides, they're lepers. It's not safe. Shaw responded and said, I'll be responsible. They're suffering enough. And so the chains were removed from these three criminals, and Captain Shaw treated them, treated the men's wounds tenderly. Two weeks went by, and the captain had his second thoughts about freeing the, the three men. He needed to make an overnight trip 
and was hesitant to leave his wife and his child behind with these criminals on the loose. His wife urged him to go and said that God will protect us. God will be with us. And so the next morning, so the captain left for that night, and the next morning the captain's wife woke up and walked out to the outside of her porch and was startled to see the three former criminals on her porch. And the men, one of them spoke up and said, we know the doctor go. We stay here all night so no harm come to you. These three men had experienced the doctor's mercy and their response was one out of love and gratitude by serving him. Now look at what it says next in the verse. That you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. In the Old Testament, we see that the children of Israel were in Leviticus, they were instructed to bring an offering to the Lord. The burnt offering was involved, involved bringing a male sheep or goat, and that animal had to be perfect. It had to be spotless. It couldn't have any blemish. It couldn't be lame or blind. It had to be perfect before the Lord, before it would be acceptable to him. In Leviticus 1.9, it says, And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so the whole animal was laid upon the altar, not just parts of it. And it was to all be burned. It was an act of worship, pleasing to the Lord. Now here, Christians are urged to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now how do we do that? Well, first it says our bodies. God desires that we present our bodies to him in service. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, 19 through 6, 19 through 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were brought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are not our own. We were bought at a price, a tremendous cost. We were purchased by the blood of Jesus. And so our body is not our own. We, we are not our own. Um, and so we are to honor and glorify God in our bodies. In Mark 12, 30, Jesus tells the, um, the people, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, God doesn't want just our mind. He doesn't want just our strength. He wants all of it. He wants our heart our soul, our mind, our strength. He wants all of us, not just part of us. Not just on Sundays or on a certain day of the week. God desires that our lifestyle is one of daily worship to the Lord. Did you know that the Lord does not want to be a part of your life? The Lord does not want to be a part of your life. He wants all of it. Are there areas of your life that you are holding back? Lord, you can have my time, but stay away from my possessions. You can have my money, I'll serve you on Sunday, but the rest of the days, those are, that's my time. I think of the hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender, 
All to him I freely give. Can you say that about your life? Another hymn that says, Give of the best to your master. Give him first place in your heart. Give him first place in your service. Consecrate every part. Give, and to you it will be given. Give, his beloved son gave. Gratefully seeking to serve him, give him the best that you have. Going back to the story of that lady and the queen, the lady who gave the old umbrella to the queen missed her one and only opportunity to give her best to the queen. She'll probably never meet the queen again. I think if the lady knew that it was the queen, what would she have done differently? I think she would have, she would have shown much more to the queen if she had known that it was the queen knocking at her door that day. She may have invited her into the house or made a warm, delicious meal and given her own bed to stay in. She may have offered a ride, her a ride home and given her the best umbrella she had. Every day of our lives, we have an opportunity to give the best to the king. We know who he is. Sometimes we treat him as if we don't know him, and we hold areas back in our life. We give him just the tattered umbrella in the closet. Believers, we have, such, we have an opportunity to give so much more to Jesus. Sometimes we're reluctant to give Jesus our very best, but we don't want to be like that widow or that, uh, that lady who said about the queen and said, when we get to, if we get to heaven and we see Jesus and we go, oh, what an opportunity I missed. I could, have given, I could have given Jesus my best, and I didn't. We're called to give when we present our bodies a living sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. When we present ourselves before the Lord, we should be holy and acceptable. Romans 6.13 says, And do not present your members or your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and, as, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Before we were saved, we would present our members, our, our bodies, as instruments of unrighteousness. We would sin. But now we've been made alive from the dead. And when we come to the Lord with our lives, we want to be holy and sanctified before him. Why else should we serve as a living sacrifice to the Lord? What does it say at the end? Which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. We should do it because it's reasonable. It's the only logical thing to do. It's logical to serve the Lord, to live our life fully, sacrificially to him. Our sacrifices to the Lord are in loving response to the sacrifice and mercy that he has shown us. It's an act of worship. Some translations say that it's a spiritual service, your spiritual worship. It's the only reasonable and logical thing with a heart that is filled with um, gratitude to the, what the Lord has sacrificed to us. Just as those sacrifices um, in the Old Testament were brought to the Lord and they were a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, our lives, as we sacrifice to the Lord, will be a sweet-smelling aroma to Him. Ephesians says, Walk in love as Christ also loved us and give, gave Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
So that is to say that as we walk in love, it is an offering and a sacrifice to the Lord um, of worship to him. Hebrews says that, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. How do we practically live a sacrificial life? How do we do that? Look at the next verse. Paul gives two commands in in verse 2. He says, the first one is, and do not be conformed to this world. Paul warns us because we have a tendency to fall back into our old way of thinking. Another translation will take that phrase and say, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The world wants everyone to fit into its mold and its way of thinking. In this time that we live in, it's becoming clearer and clearer how drastically different the world thinks from what the Bible teaches in its word. We know that the word, the world, uh, or the, we know that the God of this world is Satan. And the world wants nothing to do with God. It's anti-God. It's it's the one that, that suppresses the truth and unrighteousness. And so we want to um, not be conformed to this world. 1 John 2.15 says, warns us and says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world's. 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to, the lust, to your former lusts, as in your ignorance. We don't want to conform to what we used to be. That was who we were. And so as Christians, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. Our home is in heaven. So how do we avoid being molded and shaped into the, um, what the world wants us to be? How do we avoid that? The answer is found in the next command. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transform is where we get our word today as metamorphosis. And the caterpillar is probably most famous for its incredible metamorphosis. A caterpillar starts out its life as an egg. Once it hatches, it becomes, it grows into a caterpillar, which is larva. Butterflies, bees, and other insects go through this thing that's called a complete metamorphosis, a complete change. So the the National Geographic actually says about that, that what's most striking about complete metamorphosis is how different the larva looks and behaves from the adults. A little caterpillar starts off its life by crawling on the ground, eating up leaves like there's no tomorrow. Then, at a certain stage, the body begins to form a cocoon and it will begin its transformation process. Metamorphosis changes virtually everything about that caterpillar. The butterfly really, when it comes out, has no, no resemblance to the life of the caterpillar. The caterpillar crawled on the ground, eating leaves, and the butterfly flies around with wings that it, that it has. The, the butterfly and the caterpillar eat different foods, they look and they behave completely different. 
And when you look at a butterfly, it's hard to imagine what the butterfly used to be. There's no familiar resemblance to the butterfly and a caterpillar. Do you see where I'm going with this? God wants us, like that caterpillar, undergoing a metamorphosis to have our minds, we want to have our minds transformed in all of our areas and ways of thinking. We are no longer sons of Adam, but we are called sons of the living God. And as we allow God to transform us, we no longer have that resemblance to who we used to be. We don't look like that caterpillar anymore, but we are being changed into something beautiful, into the image of Christ. And that caterpillar lived its life on the earth, but the butterfly lives its life in the heavens. We are not of this world. We have a heavenly calling. We have a heavenly home. And yet, some Christians today live as though they are still a caterpillar, not wanting to, not wanting the world around them to see the change that God has made in their lives. We look and behave and act as if we were um, the world's. God wants us to be transformed, and we do this through the renewing of our minds. We do this through changing the way that we think and thinking the way God wants us to think. And the only way we can do that is found by knowing what God says through his revealed word. And so we are renewed by meditating and, and, and studying and applying God's word to our lives. That is what changes our, transforms our thinking. And that word renewing, it's, you could um, say it's a complete change for the better, almost like the word renovating. Have you ever done a renovation on your home? Have you ever done like a big, huge project where you're just changing out a lot of things in there? At some point, you might find a major problem in your home where you have a leak or there's something that has to be done to, you gotta renovate the kitchen or you gotta tear out the walls. And as you start renovating the home, you start tearing down some walls and you notice, oh, there's some mold in there. There's, there's some junk, there's termites, there's asbestos. And so what do you do? You wanna get all of that junk out of there. You take it out and you, you take it out and you remove it. And then you wanna replace it with something new. And as we renew our minds with the word of God, we allow God's word to remove that filth and that junk. As we read the God, word of God, we go, why is that in my mind? Why am I thinking that way? That's not what God says. And so we try to remove that filth, that junk, that sin, all of that, uh, the wrong way of thinking. And God transforms our lives to be more like him. Ephesians 5, 26, that he says about the church that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Sanctification and renewing of the minds is an ongoing process as long as we are still living in this world. We are going to be continually doing that, that the world around us tries to conform us and squeeze us into our molds and then we go to the word of God and it helps renew our minds and we're transformed. We get away from that way of thinking. We want to guard ourselves from the influences of the worlds. How do we guard our minds? What do you allow your mind to dwell on, to meditate on? Philippians gives us a good example of what we should be meditating our minds on. It says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, 
And if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And I've used this in my life many times when I consider, what am I allowing my mind to meditate on? What am I thinking about? Is this music that I'm listening to, is it really pure? Is it holy? Is it lovely? Does it have any virtue? Or is this movie that I'm watching, is it noble? Is it just? These are the things that we allow our minds to think about throughout the world. The world tries to mold us into our way of thinking, but we want to free ourselves from that. When we allow the Lord to renew our minds daily, then we can know what the will of God is for our lives. It says at the end, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How do I know what the will of God is for my life? Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? As we look and recap the whole section that we've been studying this morning, I think we can, look, we can use that to apply some truths and principles. I think number one is keep a healthy reminder of God's mercy in our lives, that by the mercies of God. Number two, fully surrendering, surrendering our lives to the Lord. Lord, all of my life is yours. Everything that I have is yours. A living sacrifice to the Lord. That we separate, number three, that we separate ourselves from the thoughts and actions of this world that do not be conformed to this world. And number four, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds by looking at what the Word of God says about us. We, we can find what God's will is for our life by, by applying those principles there. Ephesians 5, 8 says, 8 through 10 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. We can find out what is acceptable to the Lord by, by walking in, as children of light. When we give of our lives fully to the Lord, when we are transformed and renewed by the renewing of our minds and not conformed to this world, then we can be clearly guided to know what God's will is for our life. There won't be any regrets when you get to heaven. You won't have anybody that says, I wish I had given less of my time for the Lord. I, I wish I had spent less time giving to him. There won't be any regrets for people who give fully to the Lord. We want to be we don't want to be like that woman who has a regret that she didn't give the best to the queen. We have an opportunity to give the, the king the best that we have. In closing, I want to read the, um, a familiar hymn, and we'll, we'll have the words um, and sing it later with a different tune. But it's to take my life, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and, my, and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine, thine own. It shall be thy royal throne.
Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning and, and realize just the, the mercies and um, the wonderful grace that you have shown to each one of us here that know you. Lord, that we, we have been um, uh, given every mercy in the heavenly places, Lord, that you've, you've demonstrated your love to us and your kindness to us, Lord, that we just ask that we, you might use each one of us, that we would look at areas of our life that we can give more to you, Lord, as a result of our love and appreciation, that we would love you more, that we would appreciate you more. Lord, show us, show me where I can serve you more, where I can give of myself to you more, to live sacrificially to you, Lord. And we just pray that you might help us um, be uh, unspotted from the world, that we would abstain from the, uh, com- being conformed from the thoughts and the, the uh, molds that the world wants to squeeze us into, and that we would be transformed by studying your word, Lord. And we pray that we would just completely give of ourselves to you, Lord, because you are worthy and completely worthy of all of our praise and all of our service to you. Just pray that you would, might, might use us this week to give of ourselves more to you, Every single week we would be considering how we could do that more and more. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.